0: So my guest today is a friend and neighbor I've known for a number of years, uh, Stephen Jones, and I wanted to have him on the show because he had a very successful career, and one of the things that I want to delve into a bit is that he had a successful career as a corporate executive for Xerox mostly, uh, but then also had an encore career where he built a small business and ultimately sold it. He's retired now, and I wanted to get his thoughts on several things, and he's kind enough to give me a few minutes this afternoon. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So, have you done a podcast before? I did one years ago. Cool. For uh, Conoco Monopo, but yes. Awesome. So, podcasts have become super popular now, and uh, I'm going to not exactly make you famous, but you're you're retired now. You retired a few years ago, uh, but... Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Um, What kind of household did you grow up in as a kid?
1: Okay, so I grew up in Newtown, Connecticut. Yep. Um, It was, you know, middle class, basically. My father was a ranger in the army. Okay. Uh, My parents divorced when I was 12 years old. Uh, So we went from... I'd say lower middle class. We weren't killing it, okay, Chris. But then when they got the divorce, we were poor. I mean, I had nights that I didn't eat. And, you know, you were talking about my success. That was what drove me because I saw what I didn't want to have happen to me and my mom and my sister. So that was a driver. My mother remarried. And the guy she remarried was a good guy. He's passed since. But, I, you know, he... He wasn't like a role model for me. It was kind of a strange relationship. I see. But I became, you know, very independent very quickly in life at 13 years old, basically, that I had to
0: start getting my act together quickly. I could see that. So I wrote down questions in preparation for this discussion, which, again, I'm super excited about. But the second question was going to be, what did you learn about money growing up? And it sounds like you already talked about this, this decisive event at 1213 that financial insecurity. Can you talk a little bit more about, you said it drove you. Yeah. What do you mean by drove you?
1: Okay, so I saw what it was like not to be able to eat. Mm -hmm. I would go to school with the same clothes every day. Uh, There would be kids that would make fun of me, all that good stuff. I mean, life is life. I I can imagine. But what really, I was very fortunate. Um, My mom's side of the family, I had two uncles that were very successful. My Uncle Harold, who went to Yale, who started an appliance business out of, they lived in Cheshire, Connecticut. And he was a role model for me to see, I saw how well they lived. Mm -hmm. They had a beautiful home in Cheshire, another home, uh, beach home in Westbrook, Connecticut. And then my Uncle Everett, who was a colonel in the Army, uh, ended up being an executive at Scoville out of Waterbury, Connecticut, and they had a home in Cheshire, and he had a beat a lake house in Wilka, Connecticut, on Hitchcock Lake.
0: Beautiful lake.
1: So I got to see those two and how well they were living and how much fun they were having. They were, you know, traveling all over the world and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't even know. I mean, it was a big. I'll never forget first time I went out to eat. I don't know if you're familiar with Connecticut at all. We went to Jimmy's. Savin Rock?
0: Yes, in West Haven, Connecticut. That was
1: fancy, yes. That Mm. was fancy to me. And I had fried shrimp, and my aunt by Uncle Harold bought me that, and some ice cream stuff. And I started appreciating, this is where I want to go with my life. So
0: would you say you emulated one or both of your uncles?
1: Both of them in different ways. I mean, certainly I'll never be what they were. They Mm. were great guys. So
0: they were good role models? Did they, uh, you had this financial insecurity, that lesson that drove you, did they ever impart a particular lesson to you or something that you took from them that have, you've used to your advantage in terms of money?
1: Yeah, um, they really, really pushed me to make sure I worked really hard in school. <clears throat> they were worried with, with the divorce. You, you can go a lot of different ways. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a divorce. or I hope you're good. Yes. Good for you. They, I could have gone a lot of other ways. <laughs> yeah, They made sure I stayed in sports. They would come and see my games, that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. my father, my father left at 13. I never saw him again. And he oh, lived wow. he lived in Waterbury. I'm living in Newtown. So
0: he essentially abandoned the yeah. family. I,
1: I, and who knows? He was a ranger in the Army. I don't know if he got, you know, when you're 13, he could have got messed up in the war. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of things happened. So I'm sure. not blaming him. He. In fact, I just found out he passed a few months ago uh, at 89 years old. But... But I learned from them is, you know, work really hard, make sure you go to school and stay at the straight and narrow. And they mm. would always ask me every time I saw them, and I spent a lot of time, especially with my uncle Everett, you know, how school, how school, how's school. How's school? Mm. You know, where do you want to go to school? That kind mm. of stuff. And that that was really ingrained in me. I started working at a very young age. In Newtown, we had a restaurant called the Yankee Drover. I was a busboy when I was 14 years old there. Yeah. And I, I learned that you had to work for things, and I had a lot of my buddies getting in a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. and I, I I really couldn't afford to really. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's kind of where I, yeah, I awesome. got some like that. Awesome.
0: And then you, um, we talked about this. You went to um, Southern Connecticut State University. Yeah. I went to Western Connecticut State University. We're going to talk about some of the things happened in your career leading up to and into retirement, but it's not like you went to the most prestigious. No powerful school. You mentioned your uncle went to Yale, yeah. Southern and Western, yeah. yeah, a long way away from Yale, not geographically, but yeah. otherwise. So you get into the business world and um, your success, I think you describe it as Xerox made you. You were at Xerox during their heyday when they were uh, a, a very prominent, powerful, successful, innovative company. If you're young today and you're listening to this, you may not appreciate how Uh, successful Xerox was in their heyday but that's when you were there Mm -hmm. and you became a successful business person in the Xerox culture is that right yes yes and what did you do okay
1: so give you a quick background for especially for the young people I came to Xerox out of college um, started in sales uh, and I didn't realize how lucky I was back in my day Xerox and IBM were the two companies that invested in young people training so what, so
0: what era are we talking about so i 76 i was at xerox from
1: 76 1976 to 1997 okay okay right. but back when i was at xerox much like the young kids today would look up to an apple or a microsoft xerox and ibm were those companies right uh we were at one time xerox the third largest company in the world um and you know making all kinds of money But the thing that was most important to me, and I didn't realize how lucky I was, they had a a training center in Leesburg, Virginia. And they would send me to those schools. Xerox invested a lot in me. They sent me to Harvard for for their uh, their master's program. Wow. Yeah. So here I am, this guy out of Southern Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, the reason I went to Southern, I could afford it. I paid Mm -hmm. for my college. I see. I didn't get a dime from my family or anything. And I don't want to sound like, woe was me, but... I had to go somewhere I could afford. And back then, you could go to Southern for like three grand a year. Right. I could appreciate
0: yeah. that. I mean, yeah. even today, the cost, the numbers are bigger. But still going to a state school, including Southern and Western, you know, it's still very affordable. It's not quite as affordable as it was back then, but still affordable compared to many, many schools. So it's still an issue today. So you become an executive, right? You you, ri- you rise through the corporate ranks and Xerox. Yep. And uh, why do you think you were successful? Part of it was you had the wind at your back with a successful, growing, vibrant company.
1: Absolutely. But
0: then again, a lot of people would have flunked out of Xerox that time or not been able to cut it or perhaps didn't rise as fast or far as you went. What do you attribute that success to? What do you think were some of your better skills or characteristics?
1: I think, um, number one, I worked my butt off. I was working, Chris, and I'm not exaggerating, 60, 70-hour days. You can ask my wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, 60-hour weeks, I should say. But what's most important, and I look back now, I had some great mentors. Mm -hmm. And certain people, executives much higher than I were, mentored me. Mm -hmm. And this guy, Roy Haythorn, who ended up being an executive vice president at Xerox, he was a region vice president when I was working out of the Northeast. I was working out of the Hartford, Connecticut office. And he was one of the guys. He would come into the office once a quarter, and we went out to. I was set up to have a dinner with him one night, just to talk about the business and what was going on. And he he took a liking to me, I guess. Yeah. And I would get a phone call from him out of the blue. Hey, I have this special project. Would you do? This? Would you help me with mm-hmm. it? That kind of stuff. So part, and then there was another guy named Mike McDonald. There's a few people I look back at that were really. They gave me the right direction going through the corporate ranks because mm-hmm. corporate America, I don't care what anybody says,
0: it's very political. Oh, yeah.
1: And you, 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 you've got to have the right people helping you. And- so
0: you had this energy that you're yeah. being driven and you're working hard, but then you have these mentors that help help channel that hardworking energy so mm-hmm. that you could get good results. So you were insecure financially that's part of the reason why you were working a good so way to hard, put it. right? Yeah. Can you point to a time during your career, either at Xerox or later, where you kind of were like, oh, I, I am secure. Was there a time when you could point to where you felt like you had achieved enough financial wherewithal, maybe not rich, right. but enough financial wherewithal where you said, all right, I, I, I kind of crossed this finish line.
1: Yeah, I I think when I turned around 40, all right. Um I started realizing I had a pretty good I mean, I'm I was very again, Xerox was a top company. I, yeah. mean, I had a great pension plan. You can't mm-hmm. get pension plans anymore. I would tell the young people, make sure you really plan it out. I had stock, I had all kinds of things protecting me. The other thing is I got married right out of college. Um and it drove, that was even a bigger driver for me. I met my wife in college. Yes. Uh, she's a year older than me. Mm-hmm. So my senior year, I was in, still in college while she had graduated. Mm-hmm. That was bizarre, but that's a different, whole different story. But I remember around 40, to answer your question, around 40, I started saying, okay, I, I can start doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. I can start thinking about, I started thinking about my, I have two daughters. Yes. I, I started more thinking about, what do I do to make sure they're in good shape down the road if, if they need, need my help or whatever? Mm-hmm. So that, that has been my second half goal, if you will, is to make sure my family, and now I have six grandkids. Yeah, I know. So my legacy will be to make sure my grandchildren all go to college if they mm-hmm. want to, mm-hmm. and I, I can afford to do that kind of stuff, and I'm very proud of that, and that's very important to me.
0: You've lived so. the American dream. Yeah. So you have a, a, a successful career at Xerox. I think you said you left in 1997. Is yes. that right? Yes. So did that end the corporate phase of your career?
1: No. I spent. I left Xerox and little timing here. When I left Xerox in 97, we talked about the golden years. They weren't so golden those last few years. Company had gone through a lot of hard times. The Japanese had come in and cleaned their clock on the copier business. A lot of the investments, let's just say, were not worked on properly. Processes were not set up properly. Measurements were not set up properly. So I started seeing, I'm running, I was running the color division, mm. color copier division uh, worldwide. And I started seeing all these people that, the old guard, if you will, making the business decisions. And a lot of them were poor. Mm. And... You can look at the legacy of stuff that came out of Park Palo also, uh, Alto Research Center. And I used to go there. A lot of the technology that now Apple is using and Microsoft yeah. were Xerox. Yes. Okay. And I'm sure you know that, Chris. And I, again, I'm about 40. And I started saying, what the heck is going on here? And a lot of my guys, like Roy Haythorn, Mike McDonald, had all retired and mm-hmm. all this. And I'm looking around I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen in this company. And it was a good move because the company is nothing like it was before. Just a
0: shell of its former no, it's self.
1: Tinier. Mm-hmm. Um, we, at our peak, were at about thirty billion back in the seventies. They're doing less than ten billion now. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is equate, equates yeah, even less. You yeah, when
0: inflation adjusted, sure. So anyway. So that's good. So you, you, why did you end up leaving your? This is one of the things that fascinates me because I met a lot of people that have success, they work corporate jobs, and there's good and bad in that. And then I've met a lot of people that are very entrepreneurial, small business. That's more of how I've lived my life as a small business owner, entrepreneur. But you actually have done both. So at some point in time, how old were you when you left corporate and formed your own business? Okay,
1: so little timing. I was with Xerox almost 20, a little over 20. Yes. I think I told you I was at Sharp Electronics for two years. Quite frankly, I went there because they made me a deal I couldn't refuse. It was
0: Just ridiculous. couldn't say no.
1: All right? Found out two years in, the culture wasn't. And the guy that brought me in was a good buddy of mine from Xerox. His name was Joe Ricard. Mm-hmm. Um, he left. And I said, and I, it just wasn't the right fit. Not a bad company, by the way. But it wasn't where I wanted to go. Was it a bad decision to go there? No, because I learned a lot about the Japanese culture. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Japan. Sharp's headquarters is in Japan i learned a lot I met, made a lot of good business contacts. Very good. So from and there, they also
0: paid you a lot of money. Handsomely. Yes. <laughs> I got a few bags.
1: But um, then I went to because of my reputation at Xerox, this guy by the name of Yasu Matsumoto, who was a CEO for Conic Manolta in the United States, was trying to get the color division going. and uh, he knew about how I just so you know, give you a little background at Xerox, when I took over the division for Xerox. I was there running it for about five years. When I took it over, we were doing about $20 million a year in color. When I left, the division was doing about a billion. So wow. he had gotten wind of that. So when I left, I got a phone call from Yasu. And, uh, and he's still, I still stay in touch with him. And I spent the next 10, 11 years at first starting with the color division up to the point where I became the executive vice president and then president of the company for the United States. And it was all because of Yasu. So the sharp experience taught me a lot about how to deal with the Japanese because I was spending so much time. And I spent a lot of time going to Japan back and forth for Kanaka Minolta, you know, for board meetings, etc. So I don't think it was a waste of my time at all. Okay. But I liked the Kanaka Minolta. um, And again, Yasu was a great mentor for me. He was really good financial if My weakness was in finance. I mean, I, I was stronger in the operational and sales and marketing side. I see. So Yasu kind of helped me a lot. And that's helped me why I ended up going and starting my own
0: business. Okay. So. so what year did you start your own business?
1: So I started, okay, so what year would that be? So I am 68. I retired two years ago. And I was there, ran it for 11 years. So what year would that be? Fifty. 55? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like 2004 somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah,
1: that's that's about
0: right. So what would you say in thinking about being successful in a large corporation, mm-hmm. how much different is the skill set that you needed to be successful building and maintaining a small business?
1: I have so much respect for somebody like you as an entrepreneur, much more than I ever would have if I cuz I thought cop, corporate America was it, right? Yeah. But the big difference is in corporate America you have people and as long as you bring in the right people they're doing a lot of the things that you don't need to worry about. I could focus on growing the company making sure our profits were there right? make sure the food chain was working properly the stuff that an executive does acquisitions when you're running your own little business and it's your paycheck and it's your money it's a whole different my decisions I mean that's the big difference I had a bag of money to do what I needed to do to run a big corporation. Uh, all of a sudden... You had to bring your own bag. <laughs> this is my bag, and I've got a wife and kids, and mm. this sounds corny, I really care about my people. I, and I, One of my... You can ask my wife, a lot of people I worked with and for, and they worked for me, or whatever you want to put it, I still stay in touch with. Yeah. Yeah, because... So my big worry, Chris, and I'm sure you can understand this, my big worry when I was running Aztec was how do I make sure I take care of these people? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to build this business and all of a sudden have them all come in one day, and there's a, you know reduction in force or whatever. Which I went through quite a bit. And
0: at Xerox, yeah, Xerox and, and, and Conic Minolta.
1: Yeah. Uh, at Xerox, when we were hitting the, the the bad times, we had to get rid of half our sales force. Mm-hmm. And I was involved in making the decision who brutal. the people were. That's I, brutal. You don't sleep if you're you're not normal. I, mean, mm-hmm. I know some people don't. So anyway, yeah. that's the big difference. So I had, I had to do a lot of this stuff myself. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden I'm sitting there, learning how what what you need to put on a uh, a service truck. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know
0: I didn't even know what a service truck looked like. Uh, now you've told me that you had financial security before you started your business. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's not a situation where you started a business and it was all on the line. If the business failed, no, you would no. have been. Not no. that you didn't take risk. I imagine right. it was risk, uh, but it wasn't all on the line. Is no, fair... I wasn't
1: worried about paying the bills, but I was worried about, I, one, you don't want, Chris, you own a business. You don't want to lose money, mm-hmm. right? I got to remember, my end goal was to make sure I take care of my family and my grandkids. And I, so I didn't want to make a lot of stupid decisions. Mm-hmm. But it was more about just the pride of winning. You know, I, you know you, you, obviously you've been successful. I hate losing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, you, 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 that's my wife. I, I have trouble playing ping pong. I saw your ping pong game when I was And like, losing. Yeah. No, it's just... I, I, so that was... it. But I was more... As I got more into the Aztec culture, and we started with me, and I started the business with six employees. Mm-hmm. And I left, we had 130.
0: So did you still have, when you started the business, you're what, 55, 56 years old, thereabouts? Yeah. yeah. Did you still have the same financial insecurity that you picked up when you were 12 or 13, was that driving you? Or your motivation changed a bit? You were thinking more about family and legacy?
1: More family, legacy. I didn't want... You know, as we're talking, I didn't want to be a failure. This this Aztec was a... T- I could have stayed in corporate America. I could have stayed in Contra for another 10. Yeah. Called it a and day. Just kind of wrote, wrote it out. I mean, they would have been very happy. But I, I wanted it... I guess everyone wants to always. I, I'm not everybody, but I always wanted to try. Get, have so you were up business. for the challenge. And I fit, and I, I'm in a situation I could do it, I, and the timing was right. I quite frankly, I was getting really tired of travel. Um, one thing you learn in, in corporate America, and I think I was telling you this mm. when we were on the beach the other day. You. Um, you get a phone call and they want you in London. It sounds very, very sexy. To oh, think. yeah. <laughs> but it's not real sexy when you're getting it on Labor Day weekend and yes. you're planning to having mm-hmm. the family over for a picnic. And right. You're getting your ass up to
0: a... Yes. And uh, I could see the appeal of the first time. Yeah. But by that 17th time, the 39th time... It, it, it got old. And I was getting in my 50s. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So how old are you? I'm 51. All right. So you're getting close to what I was, my age. I'm thinking, I, I don't want to keep doing this. I was, mm-hmm. you know, you're coming home and you're tired. But I, here's the interesting thing. I thought I was going to get more sleep. You know, running your own business.
0: I wasn't getting more <laughs> sleep,
1: but I was home. Yeah. I mean, we opened offices throughout the Northeast, but I was, I could be home almost, almost every night.
0: And you were energized by the experience, yeah. the new challenge, wanting to win the competitive juices and not, All right. That's yeah. good. Good. So let's switch gears slightly. When did you start planning for your retirement, seriously? I imagine, because you were with Xerox, we already mentioned you had a pension, you had stock options. I imagine, I'm guessing, just given your background, you were probably always a saver, always living beneath your means. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. When did you start thinking about, hey, let's take a look at where I am retirement-wise and what retirement's going to look like and maybe... Paying more attention to it.
1: I would, but actually, honestly, about 10 years into Xerox. I was about okay. 30. All right, um, so young. Yeah, and you know what? I was, uh, again, Xerox, we had so many resources, Chris. Now, you know, we have, like, let's see, I took over the division. I was there for 20. I took over that division about 15 years in. But before that, I was running the Northeast region. So I had resources available to me to, that would meet with me on planning. Mm-hmm. you know just they offered it to the executives and um, so I was lucky because I don't think I if I had that available I'm not sure it would I would have done it right mm-hmm. and I'll never forget this guy sent down with me and he started plotting my plan
0: mm-hmm. out right doing Basically, a forecast. You know, what, yeah. do
1: you, what do you want you know how much money do you think you're gonna need how, how much do you want to you know you have to ask yourself how much do you need to live right and I mean live I see people having to make major adjustments and some very successful people i know have had to make major adjustments because they just didn't save Mm -hmm. they didn't plan it out properly they didn't make the right investments i i that i didn't want to do so i started around 30 i got really serious around 40 really serious like okay I got to be very conservative. So
0: that's kind of the same time when you felt like you had gotten to a point where it was like, oh, I could relax a little bit. That yeah. insecurity, that um, that drive, it changed a little bit at forty, and then you start looking to the second half. I think you use that yeah. term, right? Um, so that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about some advice you would give. Um, do you have any rules on handling? money, you know, some guiding mm. principles that you and your wife have used over the years?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're both, I would tell you, I'm very conservative, much more conservative than my wife. But my wife came from a much more, let's say, uh they, they had her family had more money. Mm-hmm. So she didn't grow up worrying about things like I did. But I also will tell you, she kind of was a good fit for me because she wasn't as afraid as afraid as I would for example to, uh, to take a risk and I'll give you an example I think I told you our first we lived in Newtown Connecticut I started doing well with Xerox and I started sensing okay this could be a really good career we would be coming down here to Musquamket every summer with the kids and we'd rent a cottage here and there much mm-hmm. like you did yes and Cottage up the street, Mm -hmm. went up for sale. Yeah. Um, I was 28 years old. I had no business. I still had my mortgage. We were living in South Windsor, Connecticut this time. I was working out of the Hartford office at Xerox. I had no business buying this place. But I had a really good year, had a good bonus, and we bought it. I don't think I would have bought it without my wife, Nancy, saying, Steve, let's buy this thing. Because uh, I was much more conservative. I would have taken yeah. the money, put it in the bank somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was the smartest thing I ever did.
0: And it was a good investment yeah. too, right? Because right. you got to enjoy it. You and your daughters, your family, I assume friends and family visited yeah. you. And the property would have gone up over time. So not a bad deal. Do you think that your rules on handling money have changed in retirement compared to, let's say, you know, the... the uh, encore career with running a business has it has it evolved at all i you know what's interesting now i'm certainly not
1: worried i don't think it hasn't really changed that much i mean we haven't changed anything in our lifestyles as you know we just bought a home down in naples um i'm doing more to reward nancy and i
0: uh Instead of just worrying about the kids and the grandkids, I think that's smart. I so, mean, you, you you want to win, yeah. So and fully enjoy yeah. this chapter, this phase of your life.
1: I, I you know, one thing, I, one of my big goals now for my daughters, is to make sure Nancy and I are, are not a burden. And what I mean by that, financially. And one thing I talk to people about is making sure the parents are well set up. Yeah, because um, it gets real expensive. It gets
0: expensive and it's a burden. You know, I'm part of the sandwich generation where, you know, you have some responsibilities, if you will, with parents, but then you also have your children. And uh, it is an act of love when you make sure that you are financially in good shape. Yep. And that means different things to different people. I get that. But also that you're organized, that you have a will and a state plan, that if there was a crisis and the family had to step in, that things are put in place to make it easier on loved ones. That's an act of love. And to prepare for contingencies. If there's a health problem, mm-hmm. there's a number of ways to do it. There's not one size fits all, but but that's all really good. You're doing a service to your children and grandchildren. Yeah,
1: Chris, you're bringing up some really good points. I We just went through it, unfortunately, uh, with her mother. Her dad passed several years ago, who I missed dearly. He was a I loved his her father, and he's much like my wife. That's why their personalities. But her mother, they did not plan properly, mm-hmm. and um, make a long story short, they were well off. He passes. They had overextended themselves. They were big into boating. You know, you know, boating. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, it's like, Not, not, a, not a cheap thing.
1: So they had this big uh, boat. They kept in Mississippi, Connecticut, and mm-hmm. then they moved down to South Carolina. They would go to South Carolina up here with their boat every year, I Think of the ex- cost, even with gas costs then. But when he passed, I had no idea the debt they were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guess who ended up having to take care of that?
0: I think I'm speaking with him.
1: Yes. Uh, and I'm not...
0: And Nancy. I mean, yeah. You guys are... When
1: Nancy and I... But the point is... My, the point I'm trying to make, if they had planned better, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been in that situation. That's uh, good. And it's... And I, I know life isn't perfect, but you ha- you have to t- kind of lay out where do, you, where do you want to be every 10 years? Mm-hmm. Or, or Some people do it every five now, whatever mm-hmm. you need to do planning-wise. Mm-hmm. But like I say, getting back, my whole thing is now, and Nancy and I, I think the magic age I, to me is I see people up to about 80, they're fine. Then things start happening. It's life. Yeah, yeah. It's life. I want to make sure, I'm 68, Nancy's 69. I want to know the next ten, eleven years, we can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, and then when we slow down, I mean, it will slow down, you know. Mm-hmm. And but in, in, I, I don't ever, like I said. Here's another example, of talking about what happened to his her parents. I don't want to be a burden to my kids. Where they're mm-hmm. like, what do you do with assisted living? By the sure. way, Chris, assisted living's very expensive. Yes, I found out. Mm-hmm. Okay, was paying the monthly mm-hmm. bill. I had no idea.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, go. Uh so I think uh last question. Yeah. You mentioned your children, your six grandchildren. So what advice do you give to them about money and wealth building? It's different for them because I imagine they grew up in a household that was not like the household you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe not, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Right. Uh but part of your success was working so hard, that mm-hmm. drive. So what advice do you give to them, given that they grew up in a different world, yeah. different country in many ways, you know, just culturally different, and some ways better, some ways worse. I'm not making a political commentary. But what, what advice do you give to them? You had good mentors, your uncles- you're in that position now for your grandchildren. Let's say, although they're very young, yes. Uh, but what advice will you give them, or would you give them, or other young people that you were the mentor for?
1: Yeah. The so my oldest grandchild is Reese. She's 13. Um, my my daughter Jenna lives in Chicago. Um, they're they're going to Reese and Chase and Beau. They're they're out in Chicago right now. Aaron's uh, kids are here in Westerly, but they're going to be the harder. Harder to work with, my my daughter Jenna, her his family owns a steel company, so they live crazy. I mean, it's a whole different world. Talking about my, mm-hmm. you said Chris, what I had and what they have, but I will instill the hard work. Mm-hmm. Make sure you go to a good school. Mm-hmm. And a good school could be Western or Southern. It just, Absolutely.
0: I mean, it's yeah. largely... I mean, we joked about schools earlier. It's largely yeah. you get what you put in. Like a lot of things in life. You know, if, if you if you go to a good school, yeah. really good school, and you slack off and don't do what you're supposed to, well, you're not going to get much out of it. You could go to a, quote-unquote, weaker school, like a Southern or Western, but if you apply yourself and learn and get as much out of it...
1: Yep. Yeah. And, and it's funny what you say. You get as much out of it, but also... My advice right now, surround yourself with good people. And you know, just like that, just not especially, and again, that's life, whether, whether it's here at the beach where we all like, we hang out together. Yes. You don't have a bad person on the street. That's right. Chris, that's why we all love it here. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, I I tell them, make sure you hang around with people you really, really like, Mm -hmm. not because it's, there's peer pressure and they, they've got to be kind, good people, you know? Those are the people end up being the people you end up being your friends. So I talk about that. But the most important thing is to, to, to work really hard and work hard at what you want to be. Whether it's a dentist, I don't care if you you know own a garbage company as long as you really mm. like it and you're good at it. Mm. So I, that's the thing I'm trying to instill in them now. I love it. They I'm pop up to them. They have no <laughs> idea. You know. Yeah. You know
0: they can't. They they, they, they. But they will come to know your history, your resume, your upbringing, yeah. you know, with the oldest being 13. Yeah. For the most part, that's not age-appropriate stuff. And I imagine, you know, if a 10-year-old grandchild, you start talking about your career at Xerox, it yeah, do not go he, well. I don't yes. think Chase and Reese would, uh, Bo would listen to me. But,
1: you know, you, you know this. You have children. They slowly pick up on your stuff. Big time. They see who your friends are. Mm-hmm. They—they're not. They see what's going on. So oh, they yeah. see when we people cop, come over. They see the kind of people we hang mm. around with, and I don't want to sound snobby here. I just want good people. I don't care how much you're money not. You you're have. not judging
0: them by their wallet. No. But you're talking about good people.
1: In fact, I—I I find it very insulting. For the world I came from. What a hypocrite I would be, mm. right? I just want them to see that there's so many good things they could aim toward. Mm. You know, make sure whatever your goal is whether it's sports or you want to be the best guitar player in your high school, whatever it there may be, go. do the best you can. And it, you're not going to be the best always. And that's kind of what I'm telling them now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about, I'm sure you've had your failures at work. I've had. Oh, yeah. I mean, they weren't all pretty. No. <laughs> I spent a lot of money on some investments and in some things that, especially at the work level that I, you know, you. but that's well, how you learn.
0: I mean, if you play the game hard, Life, family, business—if you play hard and you have aspirational goals, I mean, you're going to yeah. you're going to take your lumps. It just—it goes with the territory. Um, and anything you ever read about somebody that's successful, wildly successful, they'll spend a lot of time talking about their failures, their setbacks, what went wrong, and how they overcame it. It's part of the American dream. It just—it goes with the territory. If you
1: think about it. As long as you accept that you had a failure, mm. the people I don't, I, I I don't understand. They're in denial. Mm. It's always somebody else. Oh yeah, big time. Am I wrong? Spe- especially today. So the other thing, and I know we're closing here, but the other thing I will, t- as they get older, I want to make sure they have a balanced lifestyle. Mm. It's very important. Obviously, work is important, but I made a point. My daughter Erin played at Division One Providence, uh, Providence College soccer. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, on a scholarship and I would I would be wh- wherever the hell I was that week and she was playing at, uh, she was playing at Notre Dame mm-hmm. I flew in for that game you know and I knew it meant a lot to her mm-hmm. you know I just and it meant a lot to me heck you yeah know? of I'm, course you know playing Notre Dame Notre Dame at the time was number one in the country mm-hmm. and they lost Providence lost one nothing but she played a hell of a game but my point is you got to do those things. Mm. I had guys, executives that my work on. what are you, nuts? You're mm. going to fly all night mm. to go to a soccer game? No, seriously. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'd fly to Miami. This one mm. in the province was in the Big East, you know, Miami. And we got to go see all these great games. And it just meant a lot. Nancy went to every game. Sure. So, Which I'm so happy she could. That's but, good. Yeah, so we got to do a lot of good stuff. Awesome. So balanced lifestyle.
0: Well, thank you so much. As I said at the top, I was really looking forward to this. It was a great discussion. I'm sure it's not going to be the last. It may be the last of recording it, but we're going to continue to talk. Sure. And um, it's it's great getting to know you. And I, I learned a lot about your backstory and, and the evolution of uh, Steve Jones. So this was great.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial.